And now, a Blaze Media podcast. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent and just want to talk a bit of international politics. You may even have a Frenchy French accent. Oh, 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 yes, you might. And you stay for the principles. And I apologize straight off the bat if I don't sound the best. Um, uh, I love living in your country, but man, what a week have I had. Um, let's start with a joke because today's show is going to be a bit serious. If you want to, if you want to look around at our country right now and our world and be upset and you need a bit of laughter, I've got a story for you about me. So, Ireland's when you live in Ireland, you don't get very much extreme weather and you don't get much extreme changes in weather. Like our temperature in winter might go to the high twenties um, at a really bad day, and then at a high in the summer it goes up to like seventy. Um, but that's like winter and summer. I now live in Oklahoma. Anybody who knows anything about Oklahoma, the weather's crazy here. Like, I'm not talking like crazy, like just, oh my God, a bit freaky. I mean like, woohoo, like full blinking lights, like stay away crazy. Um, last week we had the, the storm. Um, this is the second storm, mini storm we've had. I've been told they're not that bad. Um, but like the weather got down to like 12 at one point on my dashboard. And because it snowed and it iced and it was so cold, the snow wasn't like crunchy, soft snow that you step in. And you know, you know, when you step in snow and it's nice, it's like that, that crunch. No, we didn't have that. The snow, just because it was so cold, melded with the ice and became one body. Um, anyway, the city Irish boy decided one day to go outside. <clears throat> Excuse me. To go outside and had to return a desk in Tulsa and get a new desk. Um, one of the things, if you know about country dogs, is they love chasing cars. Well, when I'm leaving, my one of my dogs, Winston, literally would not get out of the middle of the road, would not let me pass him, to the point where he was, like, a long way from the house. So I tried to get out of the car. I was telling him, go home, go home, wouldn't go. So I was like, I've had enough of this. I'm afraid for him. I need to get him, be- I need to get past him. I stopped the car. Stupid move. Really rocky move. And proceeded to get out of the car. And when I say get out of the car, let me just tell you what get out of the car means. Because you might be thinking, you put your left foot out, you put your right foot out, you stand and you walk. Not what happened to me. I put my left foot out, I put my right foot out. And as gracefully as a 300 pound, 6 foot 1 guy can do, fall flat on his face. That was fall 1. I eventually got my dog home and got in the car and drove to Tulsa. Went to the office depot to return the desk. As I'm walking in... Oh, and by the way, my wife had already told me how you walk in snow and ice. I was walking very slowly with very small footsteps. Second fall was outside of the office depot. Walking in, I slipped in front of a volunteer. Fall two. Now, you might be thinking, (laughs) John, 
You couldn't be as stupid to fall three times. Oh, yes, you can. And the third one is the funniest one. So I go and return the desk, and desks are heavy. Get into the office depot, do all the paperwork to return it. And this lady, and when I say this lady was £100, I've been saying, you know, she was less than £100. She was £100 soaking wet, is the saying we always have. And she had to go out to the back and get a trolley and bring the, the new desk out. And it was a heavy desk. And after doing the paperwork, I'm like, hey, I'll take it from here. I'll take the trolley. You, you know, no offense. She was like, she was a teenager. She was like 4'11", 100 pounds soaking wet. And this desk is heavy. I'm like, I'll take it. She's like, sir, I can't let you do that. If you take the trolley and something happens, you're not covered. But if something happens to me, I'm totally covered. Anyway... I'm like, okay, you sure? Can I help you? No, sir, you can't help me for insurance purposes, like I just said. And I'm like, okay, this seems like a bit dramatic, but okay, fair enough. I walk out to the car, and I fall for a third time. Now, this one wasn't so bad, because I fell right at the car, and I fell forward, so I was able to. the car was able to stop me, and I was able to put my hand out. But I felt like that girl was saying, it's because of dummies like you that we have this stupid policy, and I have to push this trolley. So if you want to laugh today, laugh at me. But the story doesn't end there. Because because of different reasons, not only did last week did we have that storm, but now it's like 70 degrees. The high today as I'm recording this show is supposed to be 81. Talk about crazy. Like in the difference of a week between 12 and 81 is crazy. But what made it even better was I was sore after those tree falls. And then I went and babysitted my daughter's kids for about 12 hours or 13 hours. And boy, 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 if you've ever babysat a four-year-old and a two-year-old, they like to beat people up. I feel like I've been in a fight with Mike Tyson for 15 rounds. My ribs hurt, my chest hurt, my back hurts, my arms hurt. That When I say they beat me up, and I, I feel comfortable enough to say a four-year-old and a two-year-old, yes, did meet me up. And if you're like, that couldn't happen, trust me. They jumped on me. They jumped off of me. They all. Oh, they beat me with sticks. They just gave me the ass whooping I deserved. So if you need to laugh today, laugh at me. Go for it. But that's enough personal stuff. Because you didn't tune in to hear about my adventures and my life. But I just wanted to share a funny story with you to laugh along at my misery and my pain. <laughs> Don't. Please do. Because I laughed my butt off. Uh, especially the third fall. I want to talk to you today about some serious stuff. And I'm going to give you full disclosure about what I want to talk to you today about is one of the first times I have come behind this microphone and I don't know the answer. Normally when I research this show and I put together this show and you can say you're great at it, you're bad at it, you know, I like you, I dislike you, whatever you want. The fact of the matter is a lot of work goes into the show behind the scenes. I'm always researching, and I, my job is not to tell you what to think. My job is to present the facts as I see them, and the truth, and then say, hey, okay, okay, here's the evidence. You make the judgment, Your Honor. You make the decision, and you're the judge. And if you agree with me, because I do share my opinion, I'm not, I don't hide my opinion. You can agree, we can disagree, we can agree partially or disagree. But today... I don't know my own opinion on this subject. I'm just going to raise a lot of questions with you. 
and I'm going to say, this does not make sense to me. What is going on makes no sense. What has been reported by the media makes zero sense. And we're also going to talk about winners and losers. I'm going to take a different tact to what I have seen been discussed about what's going on in in Ukraine, in Russia, in Europe, and in America. And full disclosure, as I said, I don't have the answers. But to me, something is very, very, very wrong and very off. Because if you add up all the stuff I'm going to talk to you about today, it doesn't add up. we get into that and i'm going to ask you for your patience today because i know some of you are going to go oh john not more russia ukraine stuff trust me i beg you please listen to this show please bear with me because these are questions that i don't see a lot of people asking and i don't see a lot of in-depth analysis or when i do see in-depth analysis it's with a bias but we'll get to that in a minute Before I get to all of the things I want to talk to you about, all the questions I want to raise, I want to talk to you about an underlying principle. Because it all boils into what I'm about to talk to you about. I heard an amazing sermon in my church about three weeks ago. And it's changed the way I think. And it highlights, and before you think, oh, there you go, you're going to start spreading Jesus. No, I'm going to talk to you about the principle that was discussed. And then related to America and the problems we're having today. And what it was, it was discussing the amount of people in Christianity who will proudly tout, I'm a believer in Jesus. They will get on all their social media. They will tell anyone, how do you identify? I'm a believer. And the whole sermon was, that is not good enough. You're telling me nothing about it about you that the idea that you're a believer in christ means absolutely nothing it's nice but it means nothing and here's why it means nothing by the way i'm paraphrasing what the pastor said i'm not putting words in his mouth this is what i got from it you see the simple thing from a believer's point of view is to say you believe in jesus means nothing because that's not a it's not really an important life statement to you anyone can believe in jesus But also, if you look at the understanding of the battle technically that Christianity is in, and this is Jewish people as well, we're in a battle of good versus evil. We're in a battle of Christianity and Jesus and God versus Satan. Now take a step back and ask yourself, look at what Satan stands for. Does Satan mind that you're a believer? Is Satan offended by that? Does Satan care? You see, Satan is very comfortable with you believing in Jesus. That's not his aim. Because deep down, even Satan knows Jesus exists. Satan does not deny Jesus. Satan does not deny God. Satan just says, I'm against him. Satan's goal and his comfort level in his war, in the ultimate war, is not to make you disbelieve. He's okay with it. He's okay with you dabbling your foot in Christianity. He's even okay with you going to church once a week. If you sit in the pews, like many people I know, especially in Ireland, 
going back in the Catholic Church. They would go to Mass religiously once a week. He's okay with that. He is totally okay with that. What he fears and what he wants to stop is you not believing in God, but committing to him. And to letting that idea define who you are. You see, I know a lot of Christians who believe in God and who will tell how much they believe in God. But do they commit to him? Do they live a godly life? Let me use the example of what I just said to you about people in Ireland I know. I know people who go to church religiously on a Sunday. They'll sit in the pews. They'll say all their prayers. And because they were Catholic, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a Catholic mass, but it's kind of like a dance routine. You get up, you get down, you stand, you sit, you get on your knees, you stand, you sit. It's up and down and up and down and sideways. And I'm not mocking Catholics. That's just what they believe and that's what they do. But I know lots of people who would never miss a church service on a Sunday. They'd feel bad if they didn't. But they would not be out of that parking lot before they were moaning and bitching and complaining about someone. They would throw their own mother under the bus if it meant getting a buck. We all know someone like that. You see, the truth is, a lot of people today who dislike God have never met God or never had an interaction with Him or never explored who God is. They hate God because of Christianities, because of that interaction with Christians. Because those Christians say they believe in God and think they're somehow more superior, but they don't commit to him. Because understanding Christianity is a humbling religion. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The idea of loving God and loving one another. It's a humbling religion. It's a service religion. Whether you agree with it or disagree with it, whether you believe in Jesus or not or disagree with him, it is a humbling religion. Why is this got to do with America and the world and the problems we face. You see, I used to say, I'm a believer in God. I don't anymore. I do believe in him. But I'm doing everything I can, and yes, I fail a lot, to commit my life to God. To live the life that I believe he wants me to lead. Am I perfect? Nope. I'm a bigger sinner than the vast majority of you. I have more flaws than anyone will ever know. Actually, that's not true. My wife knows my flaws, and God bless her, she does a great job of pointing them out each and every time. Guys, you know what I'm talking about, and ladies, you probably do too. Why is this important to what we're facing today? You see, I've noticed when I was listening to this sermon, everything was going through my mind about religion and Christianity and my role in it. And then as I, the sermon finished, I started thinking about it and reflecting on it. And I said, this sums up America today from what I work at. You see, there's a lot of people who say they believe in the Constitution. There's a lot of people who believe in America's founding principles. But do they commit to them? Do they commit to them? Do they work tirelessly to say, no, not in our name? Or does it come time, when a time comes, that, yeah, I know what the Constitution says, but this is different. You see, the one thing I see about America today, and especially, on, be, let me be very clear who I'm talking about. People who say they believe in God as Christians, but also people in America on the right usually who say they believe in the Constitution. They both have a similar flaw. They both think their documents are like a pick-a-mix. 
They both think, well, I like it. I know what it says, but this time it's different. How often do you see Christians do this? Look, I know what the Bible says he wants for my life, but we live in 2020. The Bible doesn't talk about social media. The Bible doesn't talk about addicts like porn that we don't see. The Bible doesn't talk about this. Or I just, you know, I can't believe that's what Jesus wants for my life. Jesus would want me to be happy. Similar with the Constitution. That's enough Jesus talk for a minute. And for today's show, I wanted to, wanted to lay the groundwork. We're talking about America. How many people do you hear say, I believe in the Constitution? I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. Someone found out who I was, and I do a lot of work behind the scenes and try and help people, and I work on their messaging with them. And someone found out who I was and said, hey, I want to talk to you about the Constitution. I went, sure, no problem. We had a conversation. And the conversation went as follows. I'm a defender of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I went, great. What does that mean to you? And they gave a loose definition. It sounded pretty good. And then we started talking about the issues of the day. And long story short, it, it was clear within a couple of minutes to me, but I always just play along and I'm always respectful. And my job when I give people, talk to people and give them advice is, I'm not telling you what to say. My job is to ask you questions to get you reflect on what you're thinking. But basically they were very, they were more hawkish than some me and other people. And they were still concerned about terrorism, which I share that concern. But they would they would spoke about how they were a great defender of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but still in 2022 defended the Patriot Act. Said it's needed, John. I get you have a right to privacy, but we have terrorists in our midst. We cannot let another 9/11 happen. We cannot have another disaster like that, a crisis. How can you say you're a defender of the Bill of Rights when you just said, under your circumstances, it's okay to violate it? You see, what we need to do as Americans is we need to see what do we believe, but then what are we willing to commit to? You see, how many times, and I'm not, it's easy to focus in on the left about how hypocritical they are, but we need to start focusing in on our side. How many times are we egregious when our side violates the Constitution? What? The Republican Party violates the Constitution? How dare you, Jonathan? Yes, they do. On a near daily basis. Did you notice a comment that was made by President Biden this week? Because I didn't know this was true. But there's been 80 bipartisan bills put to his desk. You see, Washington is all a theater. They'll moan and bitch and complain about each other. And on the big issues, they might disagree. But behind the scenes, with no fanfare, no attention, very little media coverage, they work together. And are they working together for your freedom, for your liberty? Or are they working together for theirs? Because did you also notice a bill passed in D.C. this week that said they no longer have to wear masks? But your kids are still wearing masks in some schools. Notice how that works. President Biden, the guy who would would literally be like an idiot, would be outside on the Oval Lawn wearing a mask with his wife. You saw all these pictures of him holding her hand and both of them were wearing masks. 
Why is that such a big deal? Well, presumably he kisses his wife at some point. And that's as far as I'm going to want to even think about. But if you kiss your wife, you're going to pass more chance of passing COVID to them through a kiss, through holding their hand, through touch. The mask isn't going to save you unless you're kissing through a mask. And even then, it's not going to stop it. But President Biden, during his State of the Union address, oh, he was holding hands, touching people, shaking hands, hugging people, and all those people in that room. And only the one person I saw was the guy to his behind him on the right. He was like a nusher. Or maybe he was security. He was wearing a mask. I saw, sorry, I saw one else person in the crowd, one old man, wear a mask. But Pelosi wasn't wearing a mask. Biden wasn't wearing a mask. Harris wasn't wearing a mask. But yet in some schools, kids, nope, mask up. Despite the science overwhelming say, 99.99999% of kids who get COVID will not die. Wear a mask. Kids are the problem. Well, we need to start having this conversation as we go into foreign policy. As I start raising all the questions I'm seeing over the last week to two weeks and nothing making sense. We need to start asking ourselves, what do I believe in? But what am I going to commit to? You see, I make no bones about who I am. Whether you love me or hate me, I believe in your founding principles, but I am committed to them. I'm working tirelessly behind the scenes to promote your constitution and explain to everyone who will listen, both publicly and privately. And yes, I'm back public speaking. I cannot wait. I'm going to, I'm hopefully confirmed for about six events in Texas in April. I can't wait to get back to Texas because everyone I know needs to understand why you changed the world. Because every problem we face right now, your founding principles solve. This idea of limited government, this idea of principles, this idea of pursuing your happiness, this idea of getting government out of the way is the answer to the Great Reset, to Agenda 2030, to all the problems you're facing in D.C. The answer is federalism. But I don't just believe in it. I'm working to make it a reality. You see, this is the question we need to ask ourselves. What are we willing to commit to? What lives are we going to willing to do? But also looking around the people, asking them what do they believe, what do their actions tell you and the world what they commit to. Because before I go and talk to you about foreign policy, just ask yourself one question about America. As a country, as a country of 330 million people, what does America believe? And then what does America commit to? Look around at the policies in your name. Look what's been done in your name, both domestically and overseas. And ask yourself, do the vast majority of Americans believe those principles? Does the vast majority of Americans say, I totally agree with that, do it? When it comes to debt, when it comes to spending, when it comes to government, when it comes to foreign policy. But better yet, how many times does the average American actually know what's going on? And how many times do you see debate on massive discussions of massive policy changes within your country? Let me just give you one example. Something we're going to be talking about more and more in the coming weeks. The Great Reset. One of the things you need for the Great Reset is a theory called MMT. Modern Monetary Theory. Basically, you print as much money as you need. 
print anything you want. Just keep going. That's the theory that's been in practice in your country since George Bush. It's just gotten bigger and bigger each year. Has there any been debate? Any discussion? Any follow-through? By the way, this is by Republicans and Democrats. Here's the thing. I guarantee you this. Here's the problem. If you went up and I had the opportunity to go to D.C. and I had the opportunity to inject every one person in the House and the Senate and even the President, and I just include Donald Trump in this, with truth serum, and had one question for them. What is MMT? I guarantee you the vast majority of them would not be able to know and tell what MMT is. But yet you're practicing it. Why is that? Why is that? And now we get to foreign policy, something that you have been waiting and dying to hear. And I hope you've stuck with me to the show. Because this is very unusual for me. I have no idea what my opinion on this is. But I want to share some questions with you. Questions I have been asking to people I know, who people I trust in foreign policy. Who can give me some inside scoop. Some people who have served and some people who are still active. Before I share those principles and those questions, I just want to ask you one question about something. Who do you trust in the world today? And look around at some of the people I'm about to say and ask yourself, what do they believe in? What do they commit to? You see, one of the things what we have as a major problem in society is there are so few people to actually trust. And I'm not saying that we should openly trust anyone and blindly trust people. I always say question everyone, even me. But I would think, maybe I'm being presumptuous when I say this or maybe a bit arrogant. But I think I've learned a level of trust with you guys and girls. I'm not saying you should believe what I say, but a level of trust that you know when you get listen to a show that I got behind this microphone, I researched, I studied. I tried to look at all the different angles and made my case to present to you, for you to listen to. But look around at the media today. Do you trust what they're reporting? By the way, I'm not asking this just about foreign policy in Russia. I'm just asking as a general principle. What media do you trust? The most uncomfortable thing I had to do, and I think I shared this on last week's show, is when I was researching all the build-up to the Russia invasion of Crimea, or of Ukraine, sorry. Excuse me was I was looking at all these sources, and one of the things I had to do, which made me very uncomfortable, I'm not going to lie, was there was a video, certain videos, that were only available on Al Jazeera. And my gut was like, you cannot be serious, you're watching Al Jazeera? Yep. I watched it. But did I believe it? It was there right in front of my eyes. I wasn't watching a report, I was watching hard evidence of tanks, and their locations. But who do you trust? Do you trust Fox? Do you trust CNN? Do you trust MSNBC, ABC, the AP? Who do you trust? Who is willing to give you and understand then that they know what their job is? That they're, as journalists, their job is not to tell you what to think. Their job is to report the facts without a bias. I know that's a very antiquated idea and it sounds wonderful and it rolls right off the tongue but no one really does it right John nope 
But how hard is it to get information? What are the media willing to commit to? It seems the media's job is to commit to, by their actions, to promote their side's values and principles. Now let's talk about Russia. Have any of you been very uncomfortable with the way this conflict has been reported? Have you noticed it? Have you noticed how... I'm just going to flat out and say this bluntly. Have you noticed how... They're all saying the same thing. And how they're acting... Like after a week of conflict with Russia... That the wars won and Ukraine are going to overcome Russia. Have you noticed the, the, the celebratory tone of the, of the Ukrainian Prime Minister? Have you noticed how so many people seem to be pro-Ukraine in this conflict? Have you noticed how we seem to have forgotten history? Have you noticed how so many people seem to have forgotten about how evil Vladimir Putin really is? Have you forgotten that this invasion by Russia, whether you like it or hate it, and I'm guessing the vast majority of you hate it, which you should, seem to be mis-underestimating Vladimir Putin's commitment. That all of a sudden that this conflict is somehow new. That this isn't some part of uh, some ongoing movement by Vladimir Putin. Have you noticed that? So let's ask some questions and answer them. I'm watching all this coverage. And it's, do you know what it feels like? This is, I'm going to give you an analogy because it should be baseball time right now. And I wish all the idiots in the owners and the players would just get together and just come together and just let's have baseball season. That's a side point. Do you know what this feels like? This feels like it's the bottom of the first and you pitched the top of the first. And yes, you gave up some hits and you gave up some hard hit outs, but you didn't concede a run. And we're acting like the baseball game is won. <clears throat> this is what it feels like to me. Why is that? Like, if anyone thinks about understanding the, the, the pure numbers of the Ukrainian conflict, of how many people can serve, both for Ukraine, we're talking millions. If we're talking how many people can serve for Russia, we're talking even more. Some estimates have it at 10 to 1 Ukraine to Russia. And yet, we're talking about 5,000 dead Russian troops and acting like it's one. Why is that? Why is this universally the line? And is there any even thought about maybe it's a bit early to declare victory? First point. Second point. And this, a full disclosure, is going to kind of go against the first point. But this is why nothing makes sense to me. I thought this conflict would be rather short. Why is Vladimir Putin playing the game he's playing right now? Does it make any strategic sense? So, he, by all accounts, at some different points during this conflict, has had miles worth of tanks. 
On paper, and yes, on paper, wars are different. America proved that. On paper, this is a mismatch. This is like me fighting Brock Lesnar in a UFC cage. Or Cain Velasquez. Or Randy Couture. Or fighting boxing Mike Tyson in his prime. It's not even a conflict. No one is looking at me going, Oh, I think he could take him. Mm Mm-hmm. This is a simple conflict for Russia. On paper. But yet, why is Putin showing resolve? Why is Putin taking his time? Why? What makes sense about that? If you're Vladimir Putin and you understand military strategy, why are you doing this? Everyone knows there's a term in the military. Shock and awe. Your country does this several times anytime it gets involved in a conflict. When you're starting to go, we're going to take you out, we're going to shock and awe you. We're going to make you so confused and befuddled. Next point, which is linked to this. Why is Russia doing what it is doing right now? So let me just play war general with you. If you're invading Ukraine, and I'm not going to say I'm siding with Putin, because I know how people will twist that. I can't stand Putin. I've been very consistent on this guy. I disagreed with the Republicans and Democrats at different points over the last 10, 12 years when you've said nice things about him. The guy is not a genius. The guy is not a good guy, the guy is not a friend, the guy is not easy to understand, the guy is an evil despotic tug. But let's say you're invading Ukraine. Ukraine's a bad actor and you want to go in. How do you do it? You shut off their communications. You bomb strategic targets and then you send in the Marines from an American point of view. And you take their strongholds. Shock and awe, but you take out the communications. What you don't do is let their leader become a rock star. What you do is what, and I'm, again, I'm not saying this is a great foreign policy, but what you do, if you remember when you found Saddam Hussein in Iraq, was Saddam Hussein doing videos? Was Saddam Hussein getting photo shots of him wearing Kevlar uh, armor and looking like a hero? Where there are quotes for Saddam Hussein that made him sound like a rock star. I don't need a lift, President Biden. I need ammunition. You can hear, if you close your eyes, you can hear Sylvester Stallone saying that in The Expendables. Hey, Adrian, I don't need no uh, lift. I need ammunition. Or how about Arnold Schwarzenegger or Bruce Willis or ever who your favorite, Jason Statham, The Rock. If you smell what I'm cooking... I don't need no lift. I need ammunition. You can hear a video or a rock star or a movie star saying that in some action movie. Because it sounds great. You think that's happening? Why is Putin allowing that to happen? Why is Putin, who is not dumb, I'm not going to go and say he's a genius and super smart, but he's not dumb. Why is this happening? Why is he allowing it to happen? Because here's the thing, imagine you're Putin and there's a report out from one of the papers in, I think it was the Telegraph in England, which said he's hired mercenaries from South Africa, I think it was. And these people just go around just assassinating people. He's taken a hit out on Zelensky. Imagine he's successful on the president of Ukraine. Imagine he's successful tomorrow. What happens to that president's name? 
he becomes a martyr. All of a sudden, the Ukrainian people, which are rising up, which are defending their land, which are defending their property, they have someone to rally around. Our leader, our leader could have left, but he didn't. He stayed and fought with us. And all of a sudden, that leader and that mirage and that that figure that they thought, even if, you know, whether you like him or not, all of a sudden becomes more powerful than even he could have been in person. Why? Because now they're all of a sudden fighting for their leader. Because he showed the courage. He not only believes in his country, he's committed to his country. Imagine you're successful. What do you think is going to happen to the Ukrainian people? But also when it comes to the world. Let's go back to the last major really big conflict in the world. And, and especially in that area. World War Two. Have you any concerns about how the media is all saying the same thing? Have you any concerns about that? That there's no counter-narrative. And why this should be even more troubling is because it's Russia. And I'll explain why in one second. But onto the counter-narrative. If you go back and read history of World War II, again, this was the biggest load of lies, but at least it was a counter-narrative. There were reports that Adolf Hitler was doing all these things in concentration camps. But there was a lie that was been spread out there. No, he's not. That's just propaganda. Hitler isn't like that. Hitler's just fighting a war. Hey, Hitler's killing all these Jews. He's gassing them. No, he's not. That's just a lie. Those are just big factories. There was an alternative. Everyone knew it was a lie. But at least there was an alternative voice coming out. There was a back and forth. Look around at the media today. Is there any response? Is there any counter-argument? Why is this important, when, especially when it comes to a place like Russia? Russia has its own propaganda arm in Russia today. Or T. Notice how that's not doing much. Notice how the propaganda war is 100 to 0. In favour of Ukraine. Does that make you uncomfortable? This war makes zero sense. Why is that? Now to finish up, let me take what I'm about to say in a different direction. Anytime you have a conflict or a disagreement, you always take a step back and Look at who the winners and the losers are. Now, I don't like doing this because this is not something normally I would do, especially one week into a conflict. But I think it's important to do it right now to highlight how this story makes zero sense. Because I hear a lot of different things. I've heard one thing from the right. This is not the same Vladimir Putin as a couple of years ago, that he's a brain issue. Brain tumor, brain hemorrhage. I'm like, okay. And this plays credence, why? Russia is an amazing country. I believe and subscribe to the Reagan 
way of understanding foreign policy. I make no bones about hiding it. This is who I am. I've met many Russian people. They're unique. They are a bit more colder. But they also have a sense of humor. The ones I've met. Even when I come to places like Ireland or England, I always say the people are good, their government sucks. And the people tend to like big government. I'm very much a... Russia is the evil empire. One of the evil empires that we face today. But their people are good people. They just haven't got the alternative. Especially in places like Russia. Where it's a controlled opposition. Vladimir Putin. Why is he fighting this war the way he is? Also... What do you think Vladimir Putin is going to do if actually all the reports are true that this conflict is not going as well? We seem to have forgotten history. I'm going to get to the winners and the losers in a second. I'm just trying to make a point before I get there. This conflict in Ukraine and that Ukrainian area has been going on for a very long time. He annexed Crimea under Obama. This idea that all of a sudden, one week into the conflict, it's not going well and he's just going to give up. It's crazy. Why would you do that? If anything that Vladimir Putin has shown is he has patience. He's playing a long game. And this idea that if you don't understand that and you somehow think like the media seems to do in a unison agreement, left and right, that this one week of conflict with Ukraine has nearly broken him as a person and he is not willing to to keep going. That they think they can win. Really? So you think he's going to fight for all these years to build, rebuild the Soviet Empire. And after one week of conflict he's going to go away? But also this is why it's dangerous to have dissenting voices all at different times saying nice things about Putin. Let's assume everything we've been told is true. That this conflict has broken Vladimir Putin financially. And that he has grossly misunderestimated the Ukrainian response. The Ukrainian resolve. And that this conflict is going to end badly for him. Let's assume that is fact. What do you think Vladimir Putin is going to do? Does anything about his character, his history, whether he's got a brain tumor or a brain aneurysm or not, strike you that he is going to go took his tail between his legs and go off into the sunset and return home to Mother Russia? Or do you think he might accept defeat right now, but will send one powerful message in a nuke, in a bunker buster bomb, and destroy Ukrainian strongholds? Because here's the thing you need to understand about Russia. And this is something that I have not seen anyone really else discuss. Whether Vladimir Putin is healthy or not, you need to understand the internal politics of Russia. Let's say he tucks his tail between his legs. How long do you think he's going to be leader of Russia? Because there's one thing you need to understand about the Russian people. Whether you like it or not, this is a simple fact. The Russian people like strong leaders. It's part of their culture. 
That's why I always disagree with people, you know, from a different on a different issue when it comes to, you know, communism. They'll always say, "Well, look, I I'm not for communism murdering people." Like, you know, communism or my version of democratic socialism or whatever they call it, they'll say, well, I'd be different. I'd be more benevolent. And I'm like, that is the most idiotic statement and most naive statement, because even if that was true, which history says it's not, but even if it is true, do you think you'll be in power long? If you're like, I'm benevolent, I'm nice, I just want type of fairness and socialism, communism for the people to rise up. There's going to be a strong person behind you who's going to take you out and seize the power that you have and not be so benevolent and nice and kind. Back to Putin. He tucks his tail between his legs, which I don't think is going to happen, by the way, because these, oh, I believe that people are grossly underestimating the Russian army and Vladimir Putin's resolve. If he wants to, tomorrow he could summon a million people. Two million people to go and invade Ukraine and overrun that country within a week, if he wanted to, if he was desperate enough. Second of all, he also could bomb them and nuke them, if he really feels things are going really bad. And yes, kill some of his own people, because Russians do believe, from the government point of view, you have if you want to make an omelet, you got to be prepared to crack some eggs. That is a Russian sentiment. Well, let's assume he does tuck his tail between his legs. How long do you think he's going to be leader? And do you even know enough about Russian politics? Does anyone know enough about Russian politics about who's waiting in the wings? Not in opposition, but in Vladimir Putin's inner circle. Who is waiting around, sniffing around? Is that weakness? Is that weakness? I could take him out. I could be the next. I could be the person to restore Mother Russia. Is there any discussion on that? But now let's take a step back, and again, this is very premature, but at week one, we need to discuss who are the winners and the losers. Because this is where I get really uncomfortable. Who are the winners? It's clear. The Ukrainian president has become a rock star. Russia's let him become one. He had that great line that we spoke about in the last segment. If you believe all the the reports, which I'm very skeptical of, the Ukrainian people are winning. If you want to just take a step back and just look at it from a personal point of view in America, do you know what else is winning? And hopefully, if nothing else comes from this, just from a domestic point of view, can we rid ourselves of the stupid, crappy argument that says, Well, you know, we say we need a second amendment because we're going to overthrow the government or because we're going to rise up against the tyrannical government or, you know, you know what the second amendment is for. And then people would say, oh, you think you're going to overtake the military or the government and they have tanks. Yes, look at Ukraine. The Russian army had all these tanks and all this military and so far you're the ones declaring pretty much victory for the Ukrainian people. Therefore, it's clear the second amendment works. Can we retire that stupid, asinine argument? That's a winner. What else is a winner? And this is where I get really uncomfortable, because this doesn't make sense to me. The biggest winner in a geographical area is not Russia, is not Ukraine. The biggest winner by far is the European Union. You see, the European Union 
prior to this conflict was on life support. I'm still surprised the European Union is a thing. Many Americans won't know this because you don't live in a Europe and nor do you care about what's going on in European politics. But Brexit, you remember that issue where England left the European Union, was still not going on and simmering in the background. And what was happening was there were still all these ongoing discussions between England and the EU, how it was going to leave and when it was going to leave and how much money England owed the European Union and all this different thing. And the European Union was making an example out of England. It was been playing very hardball. To the point where a lot of people, who, especially people like me, and even people like my mother, who are not very pro-English. I like the English people, they're good people. But, you know, because of my Irish side, Ireland fought a revolution against England. Because of my love of America, America fought a revolution against England, not once but twice. Um, I have major problems with them. I'm very uncomfortable saying I'm pro-England. But it got to the point where they were treated so badly and Boris Johnson was treated so badly. People like me were like, this is not fair. This is not right. They were making an example that you will not leave. And then they're in a sense of weakness. Now this conflict happens. Ukraine wants to join. All these other nations are applying and filing to join the European Union. All of a sudden, through this conflict, the European Union has new life why is that vladimir putin why is he allowing that to happen why if you understand vladimir putin he's not going to stop at ukraine we discussed this in last week's show i told you about all the other countries he could go after and how quickly he could overrun those countries if he really wanted to and have a control of a large portion of eastern europe and then just keep advancing. It might take him years, it might take him decades, but he can do it. Or it can be done in his name, especially if it takes decades, because he doesn't have decades left. Now all of a sudden, Europe is strong. Europe has new life. The European Union means something again. Why is that? Next thing to be uncomfortable about. And I am a big believer in forgiveness. I'm a big believer in, you know... If you make a mistake in the past, it shouldn't always be held against you if you've been forgiven. But is there anyone else that's really uncomfortable? Because one of the side effects of this is certain countries in Europe have increased their military spending quite a lot. And one of those countries is Germany. Does that make anyone else uncomfortable? I'm not going to lie. I believe in forgiveness. I know this government is very different to Hitler's government. But there's just something in my soul that reads reports like that when I'm reading figures. I'm like, oh, dear God, this doesn't end well. Does that make you uncomfortable? Who are the winners and who are the losers? Who are the losers in this conflict? Vladimir Putin. The Russian army. And the reason I bring up those two as the major losers, I want to re-emphasize a point I made in the last segment. If he's really losing, what do you think he's going to do? Never ever rule out a hurt and beaten rattlesnake or animal. They can be at their most vicious at that point in time. Are we going to celebrate then? I'm going to be honest with you. To sum everything up, 
all the reading I've been doing about this conflict, and I, full disclosure, I stayed up to like 2.30, 3am this morning reading report after report from English media, from Irish media, from the AP, from American media, from both sides in America. And I'm like, this all does not make sense. Does it make sense to you? Does it make sense to you? Because nothing makes sense to me. We got to figure out what's happening. And we got to figure out what America's response is. Because I've heard this line. Well, look, we're just going to support Ukraine and send a message to Putin. But if they go after NATO allies, NATO is stronger than ever before. Really? Is it entirely possible that's exactly what Putin wants? Here's my only opinion that I can say for sure from many years of research. If Vladimir Putin doesn't want you to know what he's really planning, you won't know. Vladimir Putin is the truly a despotic evil person. He's true, shown this through his actions at home and overseas. He's also shown it in this conflict. What do you want to do? What do you stand for? What do you believe and what are you willing to commit to? Both as an individual and as a country. Because here's where I get really uncomfortable, and this is the last point of the day. Anytime you count out Vladimir Putin, and you think you've beaten him, should always give everyone a sense of pause. A real sense of pause. Especially after one week of conflict. What are the media setting you up for? What is Putin setting the world up for? These are questions we need to start asking. And over the days and weeks ahead, I hope we start getting answers. Because I know something for a fact. If we are on the verge of World War III, and this is some part of some bigger grandiose strategy of a bigger conflict, we got to find out what we stand for what we're willing to believe and what we're willing to commit to. What's your line in the sand? What are you committing to? I can answer mine. God, love, faith, and freedom. They're what I'm committed to. I'm committed to restoring and reapplying America's founding principles. And I'm also committed to sharing them overseas at any opportunity I get. Because they are the solution. The world needs to come back from this abyss of tyranny, of spineless men, of career politicians, and start returning to freedom, to service, to lifting other people up, to idea of pursuing the American dream. This is what I stand for. This is what I'm going to commit to. What are you going to commit to? I hope today's show has given you something to think about. If you know the answers to any of these questions, please get in touch on social media. I'm at Freedom's Disciple on Facebook and Twitter. You can find me. I love engaging with you. Send me a DM and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. But I love engaging with you guys publicly and privately. 
please share this show with a family and a friend who think this conflict is over and let them share the questions. And until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, we salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget, America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.